It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And welcome to August 1st, 2021. The month of the year when traditionally we head for waters and places to play and sit under a shade tree and slow time down. Last year with COVID, it was all messed up and This year, it's been a frenetic summer, and so I thought I would start off this morning with where you might go if you have some time this August where you can just get away from it all. And certainly, this weather in Chicago reminds us it is summer, and it is Chicago, and it can be humid, and it can be hot, and that's part of just the makeup of Chicago, but it's also why so many people for so long have headed north, whether it's up into Lake Superior. Lake Michigan, whether you're heading up to Mackinac, and this year, you can now return to Canada, as many of you know. So I thought I would start off by saying, where would be one of the most special, easy-to-get-to places in Canada if you just wanted to get away for a few days, get away for a week, or get away for the month? And I can think of no better place than Quetico National Park, which is the north part of the Boundary Water out of Ely, Minnesota. I've been there many times. And of course, we haven't been able to go to Canada for, well, a long time, 16 plus months, 17 months. In the case of Quetico, a fish probably hasn't been caught there in 17 months. Uh, It's a spectacular place to fish. Canoe, Quetico, it does not permit any motorized crafts. So you have to come in by canoe, and whether you get a launch to take you to the customs outpost, which is a log cabin on a hill on an island, uh, and you canoe from there into Quetico, or whether you uh, just paddle through the boundary waters and go to Quetico, I, I can assure you, if you have a love of the outdoors and you don't mind paddling a canoe, you will find the experience in Quetico amazing. And the fact that no one's been able to be there for two summers probably makes it even more so. On the U.S. side of the border, the Boundary Waterways does permit areas with motorized uh, boats, certainly much more accessible, and certainly wonderful in its own right. The only difference is occasionally you hear the whirl of a motor, and more people certainly have gone to the Boundary Waterways over the last two summers because you couldn't go to Quetico. But that's if you want to go north, I can think of just no better, no more special place to be able to go spend some days in August than Quetico National Park. If you want to go south or southeast, well, I read an interesting article in a magazine called Garden and Gun recently about great summer road trips to the southeastern part of the United States in Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. We generally don't think about going south for the month of August, the time in August. But if you do, 
grab a copy of Garden and Gun, grab the article Great Summer Road Trips, and it might just interest you. If you're taking a child to college in the southeast, there are incredible places along the Gulf and along the Appalachians, North Carolina, around Chandelier and other other areas that are just very, very special. August certainly is a time that we hit the road. I uh, I can tell you from personal experience this year, I would not head west. I would not go west to the Rockies, wouldn't go to Colorado, wouldn't go up into Montana, certainly wouldn't go try to visit Northern California. We're all aware of the fires, but, but also the, a lot of the west is shutting down fishing. In Montana right now, you can only fish in the morning. I think in, in almost across the state, you have to be off the rivers by 11 o'clock. This, this puts a lot of pressure on the rivers in a, in a condensed time period. And, and it's just not as great as it usually is in the American West. And Yellowstone and Teton and Jackson Hole have all had real smoke issues uh, so far this, this summer. And I don't, I don't think that that's likely in August to let up. Uh, it's just one of those years. So if you, if you don't need to go west, uh, maybe you better plan another year to do it. Uh, but the fact that we can go to Canada now um, is, is a big plus. Uh, and I do think uh, if you are going to go west, check in advance. Uh, certain areas have been closed because of fires and smoke. Others of them are so overbooked. Uh, America fell in love again with the west last year during COVID. And that love affair is continuing this year with virtually every campground, every public place just crammed. Um, so maybe this is a year to give the West a break, at least in August. Uh, what I want to talk about before I take a break in a moment is um, something very interesting, to me at least. Uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, I grew up in the business of conservation and the outdoors, and I used to make an annual pilgrimage to Washington the first week in August for a couple days. It's about the worst time you could ever go to Washington, D.C. Because the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service held its public hearings on the setting of the waterfowl regulations and seasons for the upcoming year. And this was, this was written in stone. The first week in August, they were held. Uh, there was public comment. You made a, you were in the Department of Interior in a big room and you made a presentation or you listened. Anyone from anywhere in North America could come and speak. Uh, not that many people did, but certainly the flyway councils would represent the four flyway states spoke. Ducks Unlimited would have always have a representative there that spoke. Uh, the Delta Waterfowl Foundation in those days, uh, also had a representative, uh, who came and spoke. And so it was a, it was an annual gathering of people interested in it. And it also was an annual gathering of people like John Huzar and Bob Marshall and Dennis Anderson, Ron Sharon. George Riger, and I could go on about the writers from across the country who flew to Washington to hear the feds pontificate about what was going to happen with the fall flight of waterfowl. All that ended a few years ago when they decided, Fish and Wildlife Service, they didn't need to do this anymore, and they would set the season uh, a year in advance, and they would set them for many years uh, unless there was a need for a real change. This year, uh, the seasons have already been set. We talked about it last week. Um, but there's no data. There haven't been any breeding ground surveys now for two years. People can go off of Google Earth. Scientists can look at their computers, but that is not the same as getting in airplanes and putting boots on the ground and going and surveying the landscape. We have a great big void 
in our in our data collection. Uh, it is just from a from a sort of a point of view of of getting nostalgic for a second. I, I in many ways do yearn for a simpler time when we could go to Washington and you could sit down, as I said, with the likes of John Huzar and Bob Marshall and George Riger and others and talk about the whole the whole outdoor world of of waterfowl hunting, ducks and geese and 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 that's all gone. Uh the service doesn't hold the meeting, so there's no need to gather. Uh one thing that will be interesting this fall is to see if the Fish and Wildlife Service and the Canadian Wildlife Service continue with setting seasons for the following year in the fall. Uh, and they do that so that states can be organized, and they really do it so that commercial guide services uh, and the, the commercial component of waterfowl hunting can get way out ahead and know what their season dates are going to be year to year. Uh, that's worked for the, for the recent few years. It doesn't work this year without any data having been flown on the breeding grounds for two years, we really, pardon the pun, are flying blind. We don't know what the situation is. And if the Fish and Wildlife Service decides that they want to continue to set the regulations for the fall of 2022 season in the fall of 2021 without any data, they might find out that not only are sportsmen very much opposed to that, but also there could be some in the, I hate to say it, in the anti-hunting crowd who who also might think that they uh, that that's a bad idea, and and they might have a leg to stand on. The Fish and Wildlife Service has always beaten back any anti-hunting claims when it comes to waterfowl hunting because they have the best data in the world. They've flown these transects every year since 1955, with the exception of last year and this year. Their data is impeccable, and the animal rights groups and the people who want to stop hunting really haven't had a leg to stand on. I'm not sure that'll be the case if the Fish and Wildlife Service this fall sets the seasons for next year with, with no data. They'll, they'll say they've done some modeling based upon satellite images. I'm not sure that on a scientific basis that, that cuts it. Uh, and I'm worried about that because the last thing we want to do is open up to question the validity of any hunting season, particularly migratory bird hunting seasons, with so many groups allied against hunting in America. Uh, why open the door? Why not wait until next summer to set the seasons when we have data from next spring? And if we don't have data next spring for whatever reason, then we have a whole different scenario to look at. But I would, I would offer the Fish and Wildlife Service, there's absolutely no reason not to wait until the surveys are completed next spring and then decide what you want to do with the hunting seasons in the fall of 2022 when you actually have real data. Uh, we'll see what happens, whether the service is going to go with what a lot of us would think is common sense or whether they're going to, they're just going to put their heads down and say, well, we're going to, because we said we're going to set them in the fall, we're going to do that. I hope they don't. I think it'd be bad for the resource and I think it opens us up to litigation we don't need to have. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on the great outdoors. And when I do come back, I want to talk for a moment about a couple of great books you might want to pick up in the next couple of days if you, if you want to. And also, I'm going to talk about uh, the the recent uh, ICAST trade show. It actually happened, the fishing trade show, and what it means for uh, for conservation and and what happened at what used to be a huge show. And of course, today it's it's just a just a shadow of its former self. You're listening to Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and first a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana 
in Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for being with me this first day of August, the month when we, we just, summer is, is in full force. Uh, and hopefully you can enjoy it somewhere in the great outdoors. I do want to offer, a, if you're looking for a good book to read to start off the month, uh, the book Cadillac Desert by Mark Reisner uh, is, is outstanding and it's particularly timely. It's a book about the settlement of the American West and water. It, it, it not only gives us a little bit of a history lesson, but it's it's a superb book, which explains so much of what's going on in the world today when it comes to water, and particularly water in the West. Again, Cadillac Desert by Mark Reisner. It's been out for a while. Uh, it was updated recently. Unfortunately, Mark passed away. He was a just a tremendous asset to the natural resource world. Um, but he he passed away quite a while ago. But as I said, the book has been updated, and it's very much worth. Very much worth a read. Uh, with time left, I want to talk about the ICAST show, the international fishing show that used to be called the, the American Sport Fishing Association show. Now it's called ICAST. Uh, how that name got changed is a, is a story for another day. Um, but it had a lot to do with Bill Cullerton, uh, who was, of course, my predecessor here on the Great Outdoors show and what he did for the fishing industry and, and modernizing it and making it, taking it from the American fishing tackle show to to iCast. But they had the show recently, and uh, while it was certainly a lot smaller, at least they had the show, it is the industry trade show. uh, And what they talked about was the Biden administration initiative of what's called Conservation 3030 to to preserve 30% of the American landscape and conservation by the year 2030. Uh, there's been a lot written about it. We've talked about it earlier. And of course, it, earlier in the year when it was announced, we'll see what happens. It's great to have a goal. Um, and it's a lofty goal to get the 30%. I, I think that we'll have to see if there's any way to do that, given how things are stacking up. But at least it's worth trying. It certainly is. One of the things that, that came out at the ICAST show was this is a number that, again, numbers are whatever you want to make of them. But they estimate that $65 billion has been generated by hunters and anglers since 1939. Uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, of course, most of it has been generated in the last 25 years. So 
the stake of hunters and anglers in conservation is, is real. Uh, one of the things that they talked about was what's going to happen with the um, effort to protect uh, areas that we fish. This was this was not a show about not a uh, trade show about hunting, but they did talk really about fishing. And as you may recall, during the Biden administration, excuse me, during the uh, Obama administration, large areas uh, of oceans were and 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 waters were protected, um, but they were protected in such a way that the fishing industry, the sport fishing industry, as well as the commercial fishing industry were extremely upset because they were taken off limits. And so one of the primary focuses of this uh, conference at the trade show was we, we're all for protecting areas, our oceans and our lakes and our waters, but, but you have to be able to manage them. You can't just say there there can be no access for recreational activities. So uh, it is really important as the Biden administration moves forward with its thoughts on how we're going to protect 20, 30 percent of the habitat by 2030, that we don't just say, well, this is a nice area in the ocean or in the Gulf of Mexico, the Chesapeake Bay, or could even be Lake Superior or Lake Michigan. And it's off limits now. It's protected forever. That is that is absolutely going to get backlash and it and it would be uh really important that that not happen unfortunately many of the people who advised the obama administration on how to do this are also advising the biden administration and that has people nervous uh and i'm going to quote here from from one of the releases from the from the trade show conservation is a goal and protection is a means of achieving that goal to some stakeholders, protection is a goal to be reached through denial of access. Simply close it down. There's a place we can meet where we can have responsible access while also protecting biodiversity, end of quote. And I think that's that's the entire summary. That is what this is all about, whether it's water or whether it's land. We want to protect things. But we have to have responsible access. We have to have wildlife management. We have to have fishers management so we can have biodiversity. And this simply protecting things for the sake of protecting and saying we can't have management uh, has proven to be uh, has proven to be a really short-sighted situation. And we'll talk more about that next week and some interesting things going on with the spotted owl and the barred owl and the salmon. But hopefully this 30% by 2030 is real, so long as they bring the conservation community to the table and it's not run by a bunch of individuals, as it was in the Obama administration, who never brought conservation interests. And once again, conservation pays for a lot of this. Those of you listening, whether you boat, whether you hike, whether you hunt or fish, you pay a lot of the fees that make conservation possible, we should have a seat at the table. Hope you have a great week in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.